tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. saying that I, I really find John John's language hard to understand. And I, I think it's because he was he was talking to, well, uh, I don't know if you can say he was talking to the Essenes, but there were all of these, these sects that were uh, kind of radical sects that hung around the Dead Sea and, and went out to the desert and had rejected the temple and... and they were interesting people, <laughs> and hence John having been one of them, and John the Baptist also, I suspect that there was very special language and very mystical, and I'm not that mystical. I'm a diocesan priest, but let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we haven't even gotten to the scriptures and I'm already off the track. I was, you know, that's just about the diocesan priesthood. It's it's undergoing immense change right now. Uh, there's such a tendency to uh, bring in administrators so to freeze the priest up for the work of ministry. I don't know that I think that's such a good idea. Uh, we, were, we were always called uh, not only diocesan priests, but one of the things we were called was secular priests, which sounds odd secular. But that means we lived in the age. We didn't live in the monastery. We lived in the world, in the cyclum, in the, in the present age. And, you know, the, the, the idea of the diocesan priesthood was that he lived with a community of people who were parishioners. And he spent his whole life in that place. Um, you know, now, of course, they that started in 1972. They We get moved around a lot. With, that's, that's not the tradition. The tradition is that a diocesan priest stayed in one place, and he really was a father to that family. And dad is the one who signs the checks and fixes the roof and that sort of thing traditionally. And I, I, I'll never forget, I was at a meeting once about uh, 
We were trying to install an elevator, and some guy said, I've been in the building trades for 30 years. And I literally said, so have I, that, uh, um, you know, there's a diocesan priest. I, I built wings to schools and installed elevators and worried about roofs, and it was a very practical way of life. And it was all done in the context of the parish as a family home. And, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds, Um but I, I, I think it's it's. We make these assumptions that that oh the priest shouldn't have to do this and maybe he should. I always used to remind myself when I had to build a building or fix a stairway or worry about the kneelers falling apart or the leaky roof. Jesus was in the building trades for eighteen years, so we come by it naturally. So I don't know what the future holds, but um, I, I know that that. Um, the maintenance of the parish was an integral part of my life as a parish priest, as a diocesan pastor, and it was supposed to be. I, I don't think that that was uh, uh, a distraction. It was a work of love done for that house of God and the house of the family of God. I don't know why I'm starting off talking about that. Let's open the big book on the coffee table. You know, the one, the, the Bible. Okay. Well... As I, as I started off in that harangue, uh, because I, I really think, I really believe, contrary to many real scholars, I really think that the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, and the letters of John were written by the same person, especially the letters in the Gospel of John. Now, there's all sorts of people who want to say, no, they weren't written by the same but they have the same obscure language and the this the book of revelation has this apocalyptic language i remember apocalypse means a revelation a pulling back of the veil and we see in, in the writings of the essenes um these apocalypses and and you have to remember john the evangelist was a follower of John the Baptist. I think there's good reason to believe that John the Evangelist came from a priestly family. And these Dead Sea sectaries, I'll call them, not just, they were more than just the Essenes. Uh, we don't really know about the structure of these people. They, there's some people, they call themselves the Yechad, the, 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 the unity. Um, that was one of the titles, I believe, for these uh, these groups. Um, there's so much we don't know about them. We know that they existed, and they were a group that had rejected the temple because the temple was corrupt. Uh, uh, the uh, the Maccabees, the Hushman family, had risen up, we read in the book of Maccabees, 150, 200 years before Christ, and thrown out the Syrian Greeks who wanted to corrupt the religion of Israel, and they saved the, the identity and the faith of the people, and they promptly then let it go to their heads. They took over the priesthood, the high priesthood, which they had no right to. The high priest was supposed to be a descendant of Zadok, and they took, off, they, uh, took over the monarchy, and they had no right to. Uh, the king was supposed to be a descendant of David. And so the monarchy was corrupt. 
The priesthood was corrupt, and they extended the temple. The temple was built on a platform on Mount Moriah, on this hill, north, north of the old city of Jerusalem. And it was 500 royal cubits by 500 royal cubits, the sacred enclosure. Um, and, and it was perfectly square. Well, they expanded it for probably for military or governmental purposes. In other words, they had taken the sacred space and used it for themselves. So the temple was corrupt, the priesthood was corrupt, the monarchy was corrupt, and there were all of these priestly families who said, we're not going to participate in this corrupt structure, and they went out to the, the desert and uh, waited for the Messiah who was going to reform the priesthood, the monarchy, and the temple, which Jesus did. He was the great high priest. He was the 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 uh, uh, the true descendant of David, and he rebuilt the temple. That was one of the prophecies, uh, one of the expectations of the Messiah, that, that he would rebuild the temple, and he did in his own body. Uh, when he said, "Destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days," them was fighting words. Uh, um, the, the, the Sadducees ran the temple, and the Pharisees uh, were devoted to the temple, as well as the law. And this Jesus fellow comes along, and he sounds like one of these radical uh, 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 the Dead Sea people, uh, one of these radical sectaries. And, uh, <clears throat> well, that, that was dangerous. So that's kind of the context. And so... John the Evangelist, I really believe, was a, we see clearly in the scriptures, he'd been a follower of John the Baptist. And this is a, a big part of the gospel today. Uh, John the Baptist, let's go to the gospel. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he goes on, A man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. And... Uh, uh, I've seen and I testified he's the son of God. John is saying, John the Baptist is saying to some of his followers, and John the Evangelist would have been one of them, I'm not the Messiah. This guy is. Behold the Lamb of God. Now that's, uh, uh, again, uh, this is worthy of a doctorate, which I, <laughs> I'll never get. You're welcome to it. But, and, and I'm stealing some of this from Dr. Scott Hahn, a, a brilliant man. Um, behold the Lamb of God. What's that about? We see this in the book of Revelation. We see this in, in the gospel. I, I think this is one of the tie-ins of the book of Revelation, the gospel of John. The Lamb of God is mentioned only there. And we go back to the story of the binding of Isaac, the sacrifice of Abraham. And we see that, that uh, um, Isaac is going up the hill carrying wood for the sacrifice. And he says to his father, Abraham, an old man of a hundred, Father, we have fire and wood for the sacrifice. Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, don't worry, son, God will provide the lamb of sacrifice. And then Isaac gets up there and he realizes he's to be sacrificed and he doesn't seem to put up a fight. He doesn't resist. But God then holds back the hand, sends an angel to hold back the hand of Abraham. And and um, he says, now I, now, now I see that you will deny me nothing, the Lord says. 
And Abraham knew that God was number one in his life, even beyond his beloved son. Well, he releases Isaac, and they see a ram caught in the bushes with its horns caught in the bushes. And a ram is not a lamb, different word. So the sacrifice of Abraham, the binding of Isaac, was not canceled. It was postponed. And and what we see here is John saying, the lamb that Abraham said God would provide, there he is, Jesus. And it's as if God was saying to Abraham, wait, we'll do this together. Because Jesus was the son of God and the son of Abraham. We'll do this together. We will sacrifice our son together. It, it's it's breathtaking. And this is one of the, the most difficult themes in Scripture. And it's only kind of redeemed when we read the letter to the Hebrews, because in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, um, we read that, that uh, even if God required the sacrifice of Isaac, which some of the rabbis believed he did, even if God required the sacrificing of Isaac, he would, Abraham knew he would restore him to him by the resurrection. Um, and he's riffing off the verse in Scripture where Abraham says in the book of Genesis, uh, wait here to the serving man, wait here, the boy and I will return. Abraham knew God would, would, would make this all come out right. Uh, this is a powerful, powerful motif in Scripture, and, and uh, it's a powerful truth. So this is what's going on here. John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God, and making the point, he's the one, not me. He's, he's the Messiah, not me. Now let's go back to the first reading, because this, there's something very difficult in this first reading uh, that I want to kind of clear up. Everyone at the bottom of the reading, uh, we read, everyone who commits sin commits lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him sins. I hope I'm in Christ, and I sin. <laughs> I mean, just follow me around in traffic. I'm I'm. I'm my driving is sometimes evidences, uh, uh, you know, I'm getting better, but uh, it evidences that I don't have the most even temper sometimes. Uh, we all sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So no one remains in it. Well, again, this is a problem. Uh, we, we read uh, further up, we read, let's see here. Um, oh, there's so much in this reading. Uh, let me just deal with this. It's a problem of the uh, of what they call oh is it the mode of the verb? I you know it's been so long I, I can't remember. But I, I've shared with you that there is a present imperative and an aorist. What's called an aorist imperative. Aorist is a Greek word that means unbounded. There's a just a, 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 an imperative that that uh, uh, two forms of the imperative. That that's the command form. One means do it, just as we say in English. The other mean, uh, one, the present imperative, do it and keep doing it till I tell you to stop. Useful would be for the parents of adolescents. Do it and keep doing it till I tell you to stop. That's the present imperative. So it's a continuous imperative. There's also a continuous present tense, and its implication is that 
everyone who keeps sinning commits lawlessness. Uh, you know that he was revealed to take away sins and then there is no sin. No one who remains in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has seen him or known him. And that verb to see, very interesting, the word to know, uh, there are two words to know. There's oida, which is, gosh, it means to 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 uh, to realize, to know. And then there's gnosko, which is the second form. Uh, it means to 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 get to know, to to be familiar with. So, I've seen Jesus. You've seen Jesus. When the priest holds up or when I hold up the Blessed Sacrament at Mass, I believe I'm looking at Jesus in the form of bread, form of wine, but I'm looking at Jesus. Well, I thought you said you're a sinner. I certainly am a sinner. Boy, am I a sinner. Well, doesn't the scripture say you haven't seen him or you don't know? No, you haven't perceived him. If you if you really look at Jesus Jesus is more attractive than sin. And what's going on here, anyone who keeps on sinning, and those are the people who say, well, like like Voltaire, God will forgive. It is his job. What a cynical thing to say. The person who says, yeah, I can continue in this sinful relationship, but God, God's forgiving, and, and God doesn't mind. I can, I'll never forget, I had a barber once who was Pentecostal, uh, a Protestant Pentecostal, and he was a drug dealer. I didn't go to that barber very long. I thought I was going to get shot up in the chair. Uh, he was a very good barber, but <laughs> it was too risky. Um, but uh, he would criticize uh, 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 us Catholics. Say, you Catholics, you think you can smoke and drink and dance and still go to heaven. I know I'm sinning, he said, but I'm saved. That's ridiculous. He persisted in sin and had no desire to repent, and he knew he was in sin. So you're in a bad relationship. You're in a, in a bad habit. You're, in, you're callous about, about um, stealing at your job. Anybody who thinks they can remain in sin and then claim to know the Lord, that's what, that's what this is about. No one who <laughs> continues in a state of sin... Clearly, when you, if you love the Lord, you're going to fall now and then. You're human. That's why God gave us the sacrament of confession. But someone who persists in saying, I can do what I please, and God will just have to take me as I am. No, God receives you as you are and then begins to change you. And if you refuse to allow change, that's what this is about. Say, Then you haven't known him. You haven't seen him. You aren't drawn to Jesus. You aren't drawn to the righteousness of God. That's mentioned at the beginning of the chapter, or the beginning of the, of the of the section today. If you consider consider that God is righteous, you also know that everyone who acts in righteousness is begotten by Him. So this idea that I can live sinfully and God will still, you know, uh, you know, it's just just I'm, I'm I can do what I please, and God's got to take me as I am. No, no, God will receives you as you are and then begins to work on remaking you. All right, all that said, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with some letters, and the phones will be open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We will be right back.
You can support Relevant Radio in many ways. Joining a giving society, donating a vehicle that you don't need anymore, and now donating a piece of land or other real estate. Donate now at RelevantRadio.com slash property. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow straight. It is the truth. You know, you can't have both. You can have the ethos of this world, you can have your sins, or you can have Christ. You can't have both. Because God is, well, holy. All right, moving along, let's go to letters. This is uh, from Janet, and I just kind of want to acknowledge it. And it makes a very, very interesting point that that we really kind of don't have a Trinitarian spirituality. You know, we're we're big on the Father and the Son, but the Holy Spirit is kind of uh, well vague. And uh, um, you know, I maintain that the Holy Spirit is the first person of the Trinity that you meet. Uh, if you go and uh, Paul says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord. And I think he's saying that no one can say that Jesus is the God of Israel except by the Holy Spirit. And you wouldn't have a living relationship with Christ, and Christ wouldn't bring you into a a living relationship with the Father if you hadn't met the Holy Spirit first. Oh, gosh, I'm way off the track. But I remember hearing somebody talk about notional faith. It was a, a, one of my former students who's a, who's a bishop now, and he was talking about notional faith. You know, in the church, we get really busy about the work of the church. And we forget that the primary reality of the faith is our relationship to Christ. Our relationship to Christ is what motivates our good works. Our relationship to Christ is what motivates our work in the church, our ministries. We do it for him, for love. You know, I remember, oh gosh, I remember a, a, a friend of mine who was uh, drafted by a prayer group. He kind of got involved in a little old lady prayer group. He was the only one who had the energy to do these things. They made him in charge of everything, and he was just kind of worn out. And I said to him, you know, when you close your eyes, in, in, when you receive the Lord, what did your heart see? Well, Jesus. And when you close your eyes in the sleep of death, what do you think you're going to see? He said, I, I pray I'm going to see Jesus. Well, everything in between, you got to understand you're doing it for Jesus. Because if you're not doing it for Jesus, it's not worth doing. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. So we don't The voice in my head informs me I've been off the air for 10 minutes. I think I've told you that radio is not an exact science, especially when I'm involved in it. I answered a bunch of letters. The lines are open at 888-914-9149. Got a lot of lines open. 888-914-9149. I answered about four letters, and I'll try to answer them again tomorrow, those same ones. But 
What are you going to do? All right, where was I? Ah, word of the day. I was talking to my classmate, Father Brankin, and we were talking about the word devil. I mean, uh, diabolos. It comes from the Greek word diabolos, which is a fascinating word. It's usually translated as slander, but it's a funny word because it comes from a word for throw, uh, balo, which means I throw in Greek, and dia is an intensifier. It's a preposition that means through. Uh, It it, it can have a couple different meanings, um, but uh, as a prefix to a verb, it often is an intensifier, like completely. I throw completely. Have you ever heard the line, I was, I was just thrown by it. I was completely thrown. That's the same sense, that the devil is the creator of chaos. Logos is order and reason. Chaos is the opposite. So uh, a spirit of confusion, a spirit of, of, uh, of, of dishonesty, I think that's an important thing. The devil is a liar, the father of lies. And, and uh, it's, it's really kind of an interesting title for, for the evil one, uh, the slanderer or the, the, the creator of lies, a creator of chaos, uh, diabolos, and um, means to, to throw things. And in the sense of um, I was completely thrown by that by that answer. I, I, I was really thrown by it. I didn't expect that. That's the sense of it, which I think is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, that 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 spirit of confusion that that is is really diabolical. And, uh, you know, Jesus says, let your answers be yes and no. Anything else is from the evil one. I, I was just, you know, this is what old priests talk about. Word meanings and theology, isn't that edifying? All right, let's go to phone calls. Why don't you ask me a little easy question? Will you answer it? A tiny one. Agnes, it's been one of those. It's been one of those okay. shows. <laughs> so okay. ask me okay. a question. What can I do for you? Good. Yes, may you have a holy new year, and you're meek and humble. My question is: mm-hmm. I attended a visiting parish for midnight mass. And the priest consecrated the host, and then he began to sing, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Then he consecrated the chalice, and he sang the same thing. My question is, did that invalidate the consecration? No, no, it did not. It did not. If he said, this is my body, this is my blood, it was valid if he, of course, intended, which I'm sure he did, to consecrate. He's just getting carried away by the theatrics of it. And you know what I think about getting carried away by the theatrics? It ain't a show. Mm-hmm. It's the holy sacrifice mm-hmm. of the Mass. You say what's in the black, you do what's in the red. Uh, so, you know, but we, we, the clergy, can always improve on what is perfect. At least we think mm-hmm. we can. So, uh, no, mm-hmm. it didn't invalidate it. And he probably did it with real sincerity. So, mm-hmm. it, it was not yeah, invalid. Thought- Does that, that answer your question, Agnes? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You made Mass on Christmas. Not a problem. God bless you. Let's go to Tess, who's calling in from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Hello. Good afternoon, Father. Yes. What can I do for you, Tess? Yes. I just have a question. Our priest does not want us to bow at the tabernacle, but instead he wanted us to do it on the altar by the you know, to the altar. Is that is there a reason why? Yeah, because that was trendy a few years back. Um, 
Now, is this is this in the liturgy? Are you are you like like a lector uh, or, or, or yes, a reader like a or something? Or, yeah, like a lector so or he, a uh, Eucharistic minister. Yes. So you're supposed to bow. He wants you to bow to the altar, not to the tabernacle. Well, it was very trendy wants- to. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, uh, during the mass, he's saying when you are ministering uh, at the mass. Well, the whole thing was, well, the the presence of the Lord is more uh, incarnate or something on the altar. Well, the blessed sacrament's on the altar. I solved that problem by going around the front of the altar and bowing. And, and if you possibly can, do that. Don't walk between the tabernacle and the altar. Walk in front of the altar and bow to both. That's what I do. I see. And then if <laughs> and then if he says no, no, you got to walk between the tabernacle and the altar, bow to the altar, obey him. You know, the Lord knows in your heart, you know, but but he's it's the idea is that the at mass the 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 presence of the Lord is on the altar. So, and if the blessed sacrament's on the altar, okay. yeah. If the blessed sacrament's on the altar, that is the real presence. Uh it's it's at at the gospel. I always go around in front of the altar and bow to the altar and the tabernacle. So, Okay. I, maybe that'll help, Tess, okay? All right. But, Thank you so much, you know, Father. But, you know, obedience is pleasing to the Lord, and the Lord knows where your heart is. So, All right, let's go to All Joanne right. from Bakersfield. God bless, Tess. Thanks for listening. Let's go to Joanne from Bakersfield, California. Joanne, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Merry Christmas. Um, my question is short. Um, is paying for your child or grandson or nephew or niece uh, to go to Catholic school, is that considered part of tithing? I would say yes. I think a okay. lot of clergy would disagree with me, but I would say yes. It's it's money given over to your religious duties. So yes, I would say it is. But okay, uh, I great. know my Thank father you. considered it. My father put us through Catholic schools. Of course, it was much, much cheaper way back then, but he considered it part of tithing, and he always tithed. There was a lot more given to the church than to the school. But now the cost of Catholic schools is is exorbitant in certain places. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I, would, you I know, would consider it part uh, of your tithe. I have another question. Do you know anywhere sure. um, where I could uh, find that in the catechism? I, I thought I read it a long time ago. But I don't. I don't think now. it's in the catechism. I, I, I've never noticed it in the catechism. It may be. If anybody knows better, let me know. But uh, no, I, I, my, my father, who was devout, uh, he considered it part and, and generous. He considered that part of the tithe, and so I would also. So I hope that helps a little, Joanne. Yes, it does. Thank you. All right. God bless. Let's go to Micah, who's calling in from Appleton, Wisconsin. And we do have more phone lines open, so don't hesitate to call. 888-914-9149. Micah, what can I do for you? Thank you, Father, for taking my call. Um, My question is, is, uh, when Jesus is born, and they're in Bethlehem, and then they're told to get up and leave, and they go to Egypt, but then... Like last week's Sunday's Mass, we talked about how Jesus was presented in Jerusalem. When did that happen? Just because we celebrate uh, celebrate a certain day, we're thinking, well, okay, you got Christmas, Jesus is born. Then you got January 1st, Jesus is circumcised. Then you got January 6th, the, 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 uh, the wise men come. Then you got January uh, or March 25th, Jesus is presented in the temple. 
wait a minute, I thought he was in Egypt already. The, the, the progression that we have in the liturgy is not necessarily a reflection of history. Jesus may have gone to Egypt uh, uh, you know, a year later because we read that Herod had children from two years old and under slaughtered. So uh, we're just assuming that, that the liturgical calendar is the order in which these things happened, and that is not necessarily so. Uh, the wise men would have uh, come to, I suspect the wise men would have come to, to uh, 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 Bethlehem or, or wherever the Holy Family was staying. It sounds like Bethlehem. Uh, they would have come after, after March. So just okay. because we celebrated on the 6th doesn't mean it happened on the 6th. Does that make sense to you? Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah, because they they came and left before Jesus uh, fled to Egypt. There you go. Correct. Hope that helps. Okay. God All bless, right. Mike. Thank you very much. Right. You're welcome. Let's let's go to Kevin, who's calling in from Chicago. What can I do for you, Kevin? Hi. Um. Um. A long time ago, you talked about um. Uh, that the that the Israelites that returned from Babylon, you know, came back in, in different groups. And, yes. um, one group in particular, you said, uh, came back and settled in Nazareth. And you said that yeah. was, um, they were, uh, the last descendants of David. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, well, not the last descendants could, of David. Um, elaborate on that. Sure. Well, David probably has descendants alive today. Uh, there, there are people who claim descent from David uh, in the Jewish community to this day. I think the Arbanel family, and who knows, uh, that, that there were clearly descendants of David uh, until traceable until 600 A.D. Um, and, and there are people descended from those people who claim to be descended from David in 600 A.D., etc. But, yeah, they, they, the idea, we have the idea, they all came back from Babylon. No, they didn't. <laughs> most, most of them stayed in Babylon, and they, there was a Babylonian Jewish community until very recently. Uh, the unpleasantness of the times uh, have meant that almost, I think, all the Jews from, from uh, uh, Iraq and Iran have left. Um, I personally have a friend who uh, was was an Iranian Jew whose family converted to Christ, and he's gung ho and very Catholic. And uh, 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 but they were part of that community that never went back, apparently, from the the Tigris-Euphrates Valley to uh, uh, the Holy Land. So they came back in waves, and I got this from Father Bargle Pixner, who was an archaeologist and a Benedictine priest in the Holy Land, um, <clears throat> that around maybe 100 years before Christ, when people started talking about Messiah, that gave an impetus to the Davidic family to return from Babylon. Now, Zerubbabel, who led some of the exiles back, he would have been uh, one of the princes of, of Judah, a descendant of David. But a lot more of the family of David didn't come back until it started to sound like uh, there might be good government work for them when the Messiah was revealed from among their family. And they settled in two towns. One was east of the Jordan Valley, and it was called uh, 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 Kokhava, which means the star, referring to the prophecy 
uh, of in the story of Balaam and Balak, a star will rise out of Israel. And the other one was Nazareth, which meant a little shoot. And this always gets people in Little Shoot, Wisconsin, excited. But uh, the the uh, shoot will rise out of uh, out of Jesse. And Nazareth means uh, a, a small shoot, uh, you know, a small uh, plant. So they came back to Nazareth uh, within the century before Christ. So uh, that's according to Dr. Bargo Pitts Pixner. That's my footnote for it, and I, uh, it makes sense. So I hope that helps. There you okay. go. All right. Thank you. All right. Let's go to Danielle. What can I do for you, Danielle? Good morning. I'm calling. I just wanted to express my gratitude for the length of your responses because they share so much depth and wealth of wisdom and knowledge that you have. And I gained so much from it, and I wanted to thank you. Well, you're welcome. But I always caution people, take it with a grain of salt. And, uh, and I, I do mean that, you know, that, that you know, I taught I, I taught Latin and Greek for many, many years, and uh, I always said a good teacher is really a salesman. What I'm doing is trying to interest people in these things, and I, I urge people to look these things up on their own. Uh, you know, this is a little taste of the feast. The rest of the feast you can find easily on the web or in, in books, especially books by people like like John Bergsma and Dr. Scott Hahn and, and Mike Aquilina. Be a disciple. That's what I'm trying to urge you to do. God bless you, and thanks for calling. I'm honored that you listen. Oh, and speaking of listening, Drew's coming up. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> 